everybody. Welcome to the Mangum Talks podcast. It's a new podcast. This is a podcast with me and BJ. It's called Mangum Laughs. BJ, how are you? Good. How are you? We're calling this Mangum Laughs because we're going to do a, re- uh, a review of stand-up comedy. BJ and I both, a little background for the, the listeners, BJ and I both love stand-up comedy. Been listening to it for years. We've been talking about it for years and we thought, hey, why not sit down, do a pod, we'll record uh, our thoughts on certain stand-up specials and certain stand-up comedians. Uh, BJ, anything else you want to add about the uh, the pod and our reason for doing it? Yeah, um, basically, you know, we wanted to get together and, and chat a little bit more. Um, and I think the we sort of felt that we were the only two people left out of the group that we weren't doing a pod together. Um, so we thought this would be a good opportunity for, for us to talk about another thing that, that we enjoy together. And so uh, we'll watch some comedy specials and lap them so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Well, another impetus for this uh, podcast is, BJ, and I haven't told you this, I've gotten questions from people, you know, you're doing a pod with Spencer, I'm doing a pod with Spencer. They wondered, Terry, uh, Lee, do you even like BJ? <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to prove to the people we actually like each other. We're buddies. And we're going to talk about some stand-up comedy. Sounds good. All right. Well, we're going to start shockingly with a Netflix special. Uh, Netflix uh, has completely taken over uh, the stand-up landscape. I mean, the money they're pouring into stand-up is incredible. I like it because I like stand-ups and I know they're getting paid through Netflix. But man, it is a dearth of material in uh, in Netflix. I can't even keep up and I'm a big stand-up fan. But we're going to start with a, a big special uh, when I say big, uh, that's a bit of an understatement, called Comedians of the World. And I think the point of uh, of this special for Netflix is to have um, different areas of the world uh, represented and to do five to ten stand-up comedians from that area, right? And I think the point is that when you're watching it, uh, you start to pick up the differences. All right, if you're doing uh, a set in the UK, how does that how does that differ? How does the audience differ from doing a set in, say, China or Australia or the United States, right? Well, so I actually think that it's comedians from that area, and I'm, I don't, I haven't watched too many more, but I'm pretty sure the U.S. stand-up that they did was actually in Montreal. <laughs> no, yeah, so BJ, that's a good point, yeah, so it is, like, comedians from that area as well. Um, I did not know that they were, they were saying, like, okay, here's the U.S. comedians, we're going to put them in Montreal, that seems a little ridiculous, but... Uh, we're going to start with the U.S., obviously, because uh, we believe in U.S. exceptionalism. Uh, and episode one is Neil Brennan. Uh, BJ, going into this, what did you know about Neil Brennan? So I, I knew a couple of things about Neil Brennan. I actually had watched his uh, special Three Mics on Netflix because um, it came up as a recommendation. And yeah, I saw some tagline and it was like, all right, you know, this guy wrote for The Chappelle Show. And um, I actually also heard a interview with him on NPR, I believe with Terry Gross, um, because I am that uh, NPR nerd. And so I heard that a, a bit about the uh, his three mic special. And so I watched that and I was fairly impressed with it um, and actually recommended it to my girlfriend and a couple of other people. Um, and so I kind of expected some similar comedy in this and sort of, that was my perspective going in. Um, I'm sure you have, uh, a lot more in the way of knowledge about this since you've been in the, uh, up world for a lot longer than I have. 
Yeah, so we'll go ahead and disclose to the folks listening. I did stand up for about four years. Uh, I was never particularly good. Uh, I did get paid, though, uh, a little bit. I didn't make a living with it, but I uh, I started with open mics, and then I started to pick up uh, some opening sets at some uh, some clubs around the North Carolina uh, Piedmont area. Uh, I headlined maybe three times in my life. I, again, I wasn't that good, but I do have at least a perspective of what is it like to do this? What is it like to get on stage, have to do 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes uh, with an audience you don't know uh, in a club you don't know? Uh, so hopefully that will, I can bring that perspective to this podcast and maybe it'll be interesting for folks. So yeah, I do know about Neil Brennan. Uh, Neil Brennan was a stand-up. Uh, he wasn't particularly uh, famous until he co-created The Chappelle Show. Um, it was him and Dave Chappelle. He was, he's good for, he was good friends with Dave Chappelle. I don't think he is anymore. Um, they co-created the Chappelle show and, uh, that's kind of how he rocketed to fame. And since then, I think he's kind of been riding those coattails. Uh, three mics was good. I think that was his first like real breakthrough stand-up set. Uh, he was always doing like 30 minutes an hour here and there, but that was like a one that he, you can, you can kind of like say, okay, this is a, this is a sort of a, 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 a seminal, uh, hour for him. Right. Yeah, I thought I, it was. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, like, I kind of think that that's gonna be a touchstone for him. I guess in in the way that I look at it, and looking at some of his other comedy, um, I think that there are comedians that have like a set and and a an hour long that they do that people go back to and refer to as what typifies them as a comedian. And I think the three mics that he did was sort of something that's only his but what people will refer to as like his comedy and his style of performance yeah i agree uh so let's get going on this set that he did it's only about a half hour um it, it, i don't think any of the material overlapped with three mics uh it seemed to be a new material uh he comes out and the first thing that i noticed is i really like the stage design um it's a, a stage design where it's not just a hard cutoff between you and the audience. Instead, there's a little bit of a walkway where you kind of go out and there's audience on your left and right just for a few feet. Uh, I feel like that that's a better setup uh, than just the traditional stage. Yeah, it, it seems that he's a little bit more part of the audience in that way. Um, and I guess a little bit of a spoiler, I watched the first like couple minutes of the next episode and and the comedian starts really interacting with the crowd, which I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of, but it does give them a very different presence and watching it makes it feel different than when they're much farther away from the audience and just sort of up on stage. And I get that, you know, as a comedian that you need that interplay with the audience, but some of the specials where they're just up on a stage, I kind of want to be like, well, what's the point of having this massive stadium when I'm sitting here watching it at home and watching that? And so great, they do shots of a bunch of people that I'm not sitting with laughing. I don't care about that. Like, why Netflix are you forcing me to watch this? So yeah. I like this setup a little bit better. Yeah, and I think some of the be like the iconic um, comedy places like uh, the Laugh Store, uh, like the Comedy Cellar, like Caroline's, and these places have immersive stages, uh, and 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 there's it's for a reason. 
uh, when you say, uh, well, you don't know if you, you like somebody interacting with the audience, uh, what triggered to me is, you know, it's uncomfortable. So when you're on both sides of it, right, when you're on the stage or when you're in the audience, uh, unless you're a pro at being on stage, you're just as uncomfortable interacting with the audience as the audience is you interacting with them, right? Like <laughs> I would do it occasionally, but I would think, man, I'm, I'm really rolling dice here because every once in a while you get somebody and they'd either be flat or they'd be funnier than you or they'd be mean. And all three of those completely would ruin the interaction. Um, yeah. So kind of the same idea. I mean, like, so I, I've been to a couple of uh, stand-up comedy shows and been there. And I just remember one where this guy had a little bit of material and a couple of funny jokes and then just started essentially just making fun of people in the audience. Yeah. And it was like, okay, like yeah that's great and i was there with my girlfriend and i was like not even 18 and i still had braces and he started giving me shit and it was just like this is isn't fun for anybody in particular like yeah i i get that i have braces it's not that funny and and so that's kind of the interaction that i'm talking about i actually think that um and we'll get a little bit more into this, but Neil Brennan's interaction and how he sort of like talks to the audience and gets their res response with applause is a better way of interacting with the audience that isn't like singling people out. And he sort of knows a little bit more of where that's going to go. No, I'll tell you, I, I'm not against singling people out, but I do think that you need to be, you need to be a person about it, right? You need to be astute because there are people in the audience, um, that will ride the line, right? You have the folks like you just described, right? Like 18, I don't want that spotlight on me. Like, don't bother me. That's just cruel to to talk to that person and make fun of them. Then you also have like the overly drunk, like mid forties woman who's like too excited to talk to you. <laughs> and then that's not good either. There's this middle ground of folks that you talk to and, and there's actually comedy gold there. Uh, he didn't do a lot of that, uh, but I did like the stage design. I think it's set up for that. So let's jump into his set a little bit. I yeah. thought it was interesting. Uh, and, and I tell you, if I was still doing stand-up, I don't think I would go this route. He started right out with Trump. He went right to Trump immediately. Yeah, I, I, he did. Um, he, But I think he did it in a very non-political manner. Um, it was sort of like, okay, we sort of all have this touchstone of pretty much everybody's going to say they dislike Trump. And so follow me a little bit and then I'll, I'll go somewhere else. And <laughs> BJ, you make me laugh, man. You live in California. You said he didn't do it in a political way. He came out firing and shitting on Trump. He totally did it in a political way. I mean, he, he, he set his, his, uh, his stance early. I mean, he didn't like Trump. Uh, and I think he did a little bit of liberal preaching. And that's in my notes. Um, I, I, I put like, I feel like he, he had some funny Trump jokes, but I feel like he, he rode that line and sometimes went over it of, is this funny or are you just angry? Are you just angry at, at Trump? And look, I don't like Trump. That's, there's no, <laughs> I have no pretense about that, but I just don't think it's funny for a comedian to stand up there and just shit on the guy, uh, or the administration without it being funny. Now, I, I'm not saying he did that. He, he mostly was funny. But occasionally I felt him slipping into that thing of like, well, we're all just mad about who the president is. Yeah. And I, I guess I feel like he probably knows his audience a little bit at this point, like coming out on stage, uh, given where he is. And that the it's a very safe thing to say, I don't like Trump. And he's more commiserating a little bit rather than telling jokes. And, and I agree with you. I'm not saying that it wasn't political, but I feel like his political humor was 
relatively short and kind of gauging the audience. <laughs> well, yeah, and that you know you, you kind of nailed it there, BJ, because he did walk out. I think the first thing he said was, "So should I tell some Trump jokes and earn your trust?" <laughs> Which is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. It, the, and, and I guess that's what I'm saying. You know, there are a couple of ones sprinkled in in his first like piece of his set, and then he sort of veers away from it. Um, yeah, yeah, agreed. And and we're not going to retell the jokes, but I am going to say some lines that I thought were good. Uh, I hope that's not too lame for folks listening, but I, I feel like that we're calling out things we liked about it, right? So uh, you you kind of can't get around. Um, some of the some of the quotes and and the early quote that I liked is he's talking about um, how Trump is and specifically I think what he means is the Justice Department is rolling back some of the lax uh, drug policies from the Obama administration and he says this quote no one ever does drugs and becomes more Republican which I thought was pretty funny <laughs> it's a good point like and he, you know he does this sort of thing where he like he he like mimes doing a drug and then then like says something very Republican right and it it, it kind of does call it out because it's true like I don't know any like pothead who's ever been like yeah man I really like Reagan like you don't like it, it, so it, it, there's some truth there though that would kind of be a really funny like interaction with somebody you know <laughs> I, I I think that there are some of our friends that that you could sort of see them you know like taking a big hit or something and just being like. Man, we have to up border security. I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you, like you're doing coke with a Huckabee fan. Like, it's it's sort of a weird <laughs> thing. Uh, so that, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, one of the things I wrote down though is his cadence. Uh, as he's talking, uh, you can tell he's worked with Chappelle because uh, he has that sort of Chappelle like, like like he he hits the the punchline and kind of goes up. Um, with the tenor of his voice. And in that way, uh, it, it was Chappelle, but I also got a little bit of Seinfeld. Uh, I felt like he, uh, those were probably two big influences for him and how he uh, delivered his set. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. And I also, there, there are comedians that are really um, focused out into the audience. And then there are ones that are focused more inward. And I get the sense that both he and Chappelle, they sort of talk down into the mic and then look out to the audience once they've sort of delivered their joke. And yep. he has yep. that like, you know, looking sort of away and down and then he, he gives his joke and then he like looks out to the audience and it's like, all right, did it land? Did it not? Like, what else do I need to do? And also using that look to the audience as comedy. Right. You say something and you have the mischievous look. Right. And then you look out to the audience. Uh, but he does have this sort of like uh, you hit the joke and then you do the hand gesture and you go eh, eh, eh. like he does have the Seinfeld thing going. Uh, so I do think Seinfeld is it, it, along with Chappelle is probably one of his um, one of his influencers. I, I did like that he immediately went to uh, <laughs> to win a set in Germany uh, and how. <laughs> when he does, apparently he was prepped before he did a set in Germany uh, to not do jokes about Hitler. And so, you know, as I'm listening to this, I, I immediately thought like, okay, when I was doing stand up, if they, if I went to Germany to do a set and they told me, all right, don't talk about Hitler. I had to, I looked inward and I was like, would I do it? Right? Because that's the, the you have like two swim lanes of comedians. You have the type of comedian. That when they tell you that, this is this typical Jerry Seinfeld or Kevin James or Adam Sandler or any of these guys, uh, they would say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to. But then you have the folks where 
uh, let's say Eddie Murphy in like 1981 <laughs> or Richard Pryor in 1975. If you tell these guys, don't talk about Hitler. The first thing they're going to talk about is Hitler, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> and so I was thinking about it. And I, I, where do you think I landed BJ? Uh, I think you, you landed in the, you leave it alone actually. Oh. Inter- interesting. No, I actually, I think I would have. Uh, and one of the reasons I stopped doing stand up is I had a tough time riding the line uh, between inappropriate and appropriate. I had a couple sets where I told some jokes that I think were really over the line just because I was trying to walk the line. But when you try to walk the line, you're never going to go up just to it and stop. Occasionally, you're going to screw up and you're going to go over it. So I was thinking, yeah, like I probably would would hit a Hitler joke. Um, <laughs> but he didn't really say if he did Hitler jokes, but he did go into some Hitler jokes for this set, which wasn't in Germany. Uh, and it, the, the one part I really liked about it is when he kind of compared, um, you know, the, the, I guess the, the rise of the Nazis, uh, to the American South and he, he said Germany, uh, you know, and, and, and their role in World War II and the Holocaust, he said, it's like the South, but they're ashamed. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that hit. Um, and so I, I I'm gonna you know throw some shade a little bit on this set, and and I think you you might feel a little bit differently, but I feel like the first and and I actually paused it and looked. It was about eight minutes of the set was good fun material, and he had like a different view of stuff. And I think it's right about the end of his Hitler jokes where I was just like, all right, he had eight minutes of good stuff and a couple of jokes from here on out that hit. But for the most part, everything after this was like, guys do this and girls do this. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, how we felt about some of the me too stuff and, and how his jokes came off, whether they were sexist or not. But I feel like this was sort of the end of the funny, the actual funny part of his set with a few couple of highlights. Yeah. So this is where I think while we do this podcast, you and I are going to differ because I'm never going to listen to a stand up and say it's sexist or racist or xenophobic or anything. Just because I know that when you're trying to tell jokes, you, you try like I, like I mentioned earlier, you try to go up to the line. Sometimes you screw up. Sometimes you go over it. Sometimes your jokes are lame. Uh, but I never, I never read intent into it just cause it's so hard to stand up, uh, in front of a crowd and try to make them laugh in an edgy way. However, I will agree with you that the strongest part of his set was, I think when he was talking about Trump and when he was talking about Germany, uh, and then when he went into the guys, men and women thing, um, I also really didn't like that that much. Um, I thought that his joke saying, uh, that, you know, if you're trying to, impress a woman or you compliment a woman you just say she's stunning like i thought that was like not funny bordering on boring uh it wasn't particularly insightful uh and then he went into like some sex jokes and i just didn't think any of it landed so bj i'm right there with you i I, i'm not sure i would say what he's he was doing is sexist because i don't know what his intent was i would say the jokes didn't work okay yeah i i think that's a, a fairly reasonable summation i guess the sexist side of it for me, was more not the judging him for sexist, but it was the, you know, women, like guys are strong and and they have power and, you know, the thing that they care about on dates, if their date is ugly and women are worried about being assaulted and, you know, so 
they have their girlfriends call out, you know, they tell their girlfriends where they are so they don't get like abducted or at least somebody knows where they are. Isn't that funny? And it's like, it's kind of played out and the jokes just didn't land for me. So I guess completely agree. I, I would lump that under sexist humor, but not like a bad thing. You know, there are different aspects to, to the genders and things like that. And that's fine. The one joke that really made me cringe though, was when he threw out the me too about like guys getting married. Um, and it's basically like a guy gets down on his knee and, you know, make me the happiest guy ever. And, and she said, yes. And he's like, Oh, you know, we should couch that with a me hashtag me too, because guys never want to do that. And that just like, like I wanted to just stop and like walk away maybe pause it and come back to it. But just like, I needed a second after that joke to be like, all right, that made me uncomfortable. Sure. And, and it wasn't a good joke. I completely agree with you. I had that written in my notes, but I I understand what he was trying to do because when you have something like me too, and you want to talk about it on stage, you, you have to find a way to flip it on its head. You have to try to find humor in it in some way. So he was trying to flip it around to how could a, how could the male, uh, perspective say me too right in a funny way in an absurd way because he was he was being absurd i don't think he really meant this um and it didn't land but i i, I know what he was trying to do uh i have some sympathy for it uh but i agree with you it didn't really work now one of the things i noticed that he did in the second half of his set is he did this thing that chris rock pioneered and that's where you repeat the premise say a joke repeat the premise so uh, chris rock would do this he would say like uh uh something like uh Black people don't care. And then he'd say a joke. And he'd say, black people don't care. And he would just keep hitting you with it to hit you with the premise. Neil Brennan clearly has listened to rock. And he took that because he did it over and over again with women have power. He would say, women have power. And he'd tell a joke and he'd come back. Women have power. You know, like, I just wanted to point out that, like, that's clearly an influence for him. Because that's a Chris Rock thing where you just keep hitting the premise. You say it over and over and over again uh, in between jokes. Yeah, and... I, I definitely noticed that. I didn't know that that was a, I mean, now that you say it, like I've seen Chris Rock stand up. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's definitely uh, one of his things. Um, I guess I, what, when you're saying the, uh, she's stunning compliment and, and that, you know, felt really flat for you. There's actually a bit in there that was probably the only bit that actually made me literally laugh out loud. Um, and that was, you know, talking about his friends complimenting a woman and, you know, making the kissy noise. And he's like, that's, uh, getting the attention of a rodent. And that, yeah, just, that's pretty funny. Yeah. That made me laugh because that's exactly what I do like at work, you know, when I'm getting the attention <laughs> of the mice that like I'm working with. Yeah. 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 So the folks listening, uh, uh, BJ's like a legit scientist and he works with mice. So I can say <laughs> you actually do that. Yeah. Uh, I, I that, actually that, literally yeah. do that. And like, I have, um, I remember at some point, like I was doing something with a mouse and, and I made a kissy noise to it and it responded. And, and I took a video of that and sent it to my girlfriend. And then, so, um, I found that part of Neil Brennan's set and played it to her. And she just like looked at me and gave me this death stare. And it's just like, I get that it's funny, but I hate you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple things I'll point out on the, the second half of his set. Um, 
and then we'll get wrapped up. Uh, for folks listening, this is not going to be like the GOT Guy Questions podcast, which is the podcast, the Mango Talks podcast channel, where we will listen to or we will watch a Game of Thrones episode that might be 50 minutes, and then we'll do a two and a half hours. <laughs> We're not going to do that with this. These are going to be relatively well, relatively brief. Uh, but I did want to point out, um, physical comedy is not his strong suit. Um, Oof, I, if no. I was advising Brennan, I would tell him to to lay off the physical comedy. Uh, he's he's best when he's doing his sort of like uh, heady uh, social commentary uh, as opposed to uh, an attempt for physical comedy. I didn't think any of that stuff landed. So what I would say is it didn't land in this one, but I think the there are a couple of bits that he did in his three mics that landed a little bit better. And so I think that he thought that since that landed, he can do it. And I think it was sort of the juxtaposition of Neil Brennan being this scrawny, essentially wimpy looking dude, sort of pretending to be large and macho that really worked with that sort of bit in his three mics. And it just didn't didn't do anything for me at all in, in this special. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, after that, uh, that Me Too joke that, that we just talked about, uh, he did at least reference that it was an offensive joke and he said something about his career ending and then he said pour a little out for his career and he actually poured I think he was drinking water or whatever it was out on the stage now when he did that what was your first thought PJ I was like all right you know you're trying to make light of it and like I get that but it was just sort of like uh is is that really why you had a cup of water on there and and that's the entire reason for this so this is where uh, the perspective is different from somebody who's actually done it and stood up there. Uh, and, and not to, to belittle your, uh, your your insight, BJ, I don't mean that at all. I'm just saying I, I, I view it differently. Uh, I think he had the water because when you're, you're talking for that long, you do need some water. So I do think he was actually drinking <laughs> the water. Uh, but my first thought was if I poured water out on the stage like that, I'd be terrified I'd slip. Because that's the <laughs> one thing you don't want to do. You pour water and you, you probably have nice dress shoes on. You're pouring water six inches from where you're standing. The last thing you want to do is take a sidestep and then sort of, you know, <laughs> fall. That was my first thought was like, he needs to be careful. He's going to slip. Well, um, if he did that, then his physical economy, comedy might have hit a little bit better. Yeah, the inadvertent comedy. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so I was going to uh, say, else? go ahead. In the middle like of, of, this, of this second half that I, I sort of got bored and I was sort of looking at other stuff and then... So my brain essentially wandered and, and because like his comedy was missing. And so I just started looking at his outfit and that's something that, you know, we might, maybe we'll touch on a little bit more, but I feel like comedians sometimes just wear the weirdest things that they're completely not comfortable in. And I don't know if it's him and some of his nervousness, but he just looked like somebody had dressed a Neil Brennan doll and been like, all right, I guess this looks good enough. Go out on stage. And it was just like the weirdest. It always seems a little bit shiny. Um, and I, like, I just don't know what was going on. And then like I was looking at his watch and I was like, is that a throwback Casio in the middle of his set? And so you sort of see like where where my mind goes when, yeah. when his jokes are just like, oh, women do this. And it's like, all right, dude, like, why do you have an old school Casio on your on your wrist? Yeah, that yeah, that's not good. I will say that uh, I think the comedian sort of community, um, when uh, uh, Eddie Murphy did his special in the '80s called Raw, 
Oh yeah. He came out in a, uh, a purple leather suit. I think comedians at that point just said, let's just wear what we want. Like that's, that's, that, that was a level. And, and, and by the way, raw was really good. Although it doesn't hold up. It's if you want to call something sexist or homophobic or whatever <laughs> that set probably was, uh, although it was funny. Um, it, <laughs> I think when he comes out with the purple uh, jumpsuit, I think everybody goes, okay, all right, well, we need to, to settle down with this. So I think most comedians um, just kind of wear what they want. Uh, I think of Chappelle. I think of uh, Louis C.K. I even think of Seinfeld because I think Seinfeld is more comfortable in a suit. Um, you know, I think these guys, they, they kind of wear what they want. So I don't read too much into, into what they're wearing. I will say that um, when you look at Neil Brennan, uh, especially in, in, in this uh, set, I didn't think he was particularly old. Uh, but one joke did make me think, hold on, he might be older than I thought. And that's when he said that guys, when they're talking about having sex, say, I scored. Now, <laughs> that's pretty old. Yeah, that it. Yeah, that really dated him. Right. Because like guys do not say that anymore. Like that's not a thing I've heard uh, in a very long time. And so then, of course, you know, in the prep for the pod, uh, we looked up Neil Brennan. We went to his uh, his uh, Wikipedia page. He's 45 years old. Yeah, that that sort of blew my mind because he definitely doesn't look 45 to me. Like, I, given you know some of the stuff that he's talked about, and obviously he did have you know prior success with the Chappelle Show. I sort of, I guess it makes sense looking back, but I sort of figured he was sort of mid 30s, um, given his sort of talk, like what he's talked about and the stuff that he's gone through and things like that. And then, you know, it makes sense, you know, if he was writing for half baked and then again for the Chappelle show that he would be in his forties, you know, pretty much like Dave Chappelle is. Yeah, no, but that, that I scored thing. I I just was (laughs) thinking about like anybody under like 26 listening to that and feeling like their grandpa was telling a joke like that, that really didn't (laughs) land. Uh, I would also like to point out toward the end of the set, he did a couple things that were the most pretentious comedian things ever. And that is you within a set, you reference your own comedy special. Like he actually talked about three mics yeah. <laughs> within his new set. And like, that is so pretentious. Like I, I, I hear that and I'm like, my God, man, you take yourself seriously. But also, he doesn't have that many successes that people would know his stuff from other than his work with Dave Chappelle. And so if he's trying to no longer be essentially the uh, sort of man behind the curtain or, you know, the the body of Dave Chappelle that's getting getting this exposure because of what he did with Dave Chappelle, then he doesn't have anything else to reference. He doesn't have any other comedy that anybody else knows other than the past 15, 20 minutes. And you know, 10 of those weren't that great. Well, but that's the point. Like you want, (laughs) you want to establish yourself as a funny comedian with the audience, do a good set. Don't talk about the set you did at another place (laughs) to establish the fact that you're funny. Be funny here. I thought that was weird. He also went into this thing about meeting Ellen uh, and working with Ellen, which I thought was uh, a little self-important. I think he was like grandizing a little bit like, hey, guys, I'm so successful due to this very successful uh, set that I did called Three Mics. Check it out on Netflix uh, I, that I uh, I worked with Ellen. Now, he, he went into that bit and I didn't like it. Uh, I felt like, again, a little bit self-aggrandizing. But he ended that bit with a really funny joke 
uh, I thought, talking about how when he got in a room with Ellen one-on-one, he thought about trying to hook up with her, which <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I, I think that was one of his the funniest bits out of his like you know guys who want to have sex kind of thing and that that was that was one of his few good looks at it um where everybody knows that it's not going anywhere but it's still sort of in your mind yeah and there's a kernel of truth there i think uh which which makes it funny uh so uh, i'll round out the comments about his set with this bj did you have any idea that ellen is 60 fucking years old no, but again, holy shit, it makes sense. And, you know, she looks amazing for 60, which as many comedians and other people have commented, a lot of money makes you look young. I'm not even talking about how she looks. It's just like, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just old. Like, I just had no idea that Ellen was 60 years old. That was, And, he, you know, he pointed that out, too. I mean, I think he, he knew that for, for a certain age group, that would be shocking. And he said, she's actually not 60. I looked up, she's 61. So, uh, yeah, Ellen getting up there. Uh, but BJ Ellen uh, does have a Netflix special as well. We might need to hit that on another Mangum Laughs podcast. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm sort of curious to hear her, her stand-up because I know that, um, her humor is a little bit more, uh, or at least used to be a little bit more rough edge than her talk show personality now has given uh, given credit for. And so I'd, I'd be curious to see like where she goes with it from here, because it's definitely a completely, or at least it was a very different face than, than what she has with her, her uh, Elgin Generous show. Yeah, no, you're spot on, and uh, I have not seen the special, but uh, my understanding is that she does kind of go back to that. It's it's definitely not sta- uh, daytime Ellen. I think she goes <laughs> back to uh, to stand up Ellen. But anyway, uh, anything else you want to talk about about this uh, about half hour Neil Brennan set? It's the first episode for the U.S. Uh, comedians on Comedians of the World in Netflix. Uh, I think the only other thing that I would say is I'm sort of a little disappointed as this being the first episode of this, you know, 40 or 50 episode, maybe not that far, but, but at least 20 episodes. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. And I guess I wanted it to be funnier and I wanted it to be better and maybe somebody a little bit more well known, but I guess, you know, as he said, he's Neil Brennan from three mics. So people do know him from that. And Chappelle show. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Overall, BJ, um, are we going to do a thumbs up or thumbs down on this 30-minute set from Neil Brennan? I'll let you go first, and I will follow you. Ooh, that's tough. Um, I would say overall, thumbs down. Um, but if you watch ten, like watch the first 10 minutes and then go to the next episode. I'm going to say thumbs down, too. Uh, and it's hard for me to do. I usually side with comedians. Uh, anybody who knows me knows that like whenever a comedian gets in trouble or there's some sort of controversy about a joke, I always take the comedian side. I just felt like this was an afterthought to three mics. I feel like he, he had, you know, he had this set that he worked on that he perfected. And then he, this is him getting going on the next set, but it's not where it needs to be. This is just, you know, he's 25% of the way uh, to having his next special. Yeah, I, I mean, completely agree. I, you know, as I said, I was like eight minutes in and I was like, all right, this is about where, where he has material for. And so if it's a 30-minute set, he needs about four times more work on it. 
Yeah. I agree. Okay. Well, we can uh, we can end there. Um, the next episode that we're going to watch, and we'll do another episode of this brand new podcast, the Mangum Talks podcast channel, Mangum Laughs, is the uh, U.S. It's the number two. It's Chris D'Elia. Do you know anything about him? I know absolutely nothing about him other than watching like the first couple of minutes, which I must say didn't give me a good taste. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll watch it and we'll talk about it. Anything else you want to touch on, BJ? I think that's it. Uh, All right. Well, I enjoyed fun. it. Hopefully this proves to the uh, the Mangum Talks uh, fans that um, BG and I actually are friends. We're going to do this uh, relatively frequently. It's not a hard podcast to do, so we'll we'll drop these off. But yeah, if you uh, you want to follow us for the next uh, podcast, watch Comedians of the World, episode two of the U.S. Comedians, Chris Delia. BJ, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a good one. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you.